Oh, Kristen. <laughs> oh, David. Episode one. I can't believe we're doing it. <sighs> Remains to be seen. This hasn't been uh, uploaded to SoundCloud yet. That's true. But I am excited about this first episode. Uh, why is that? Because this episode has everything. Are you ready for it? Oh, oh, okay. This episode has vampire mole bites, smoking inside, <laughs> projectors. Project <laughs> slide projector. Yep. Okay. Hot Molder. I mean, every episode has Hot Molder. And Hot Molder with his hat on backwards. And still being hot. Yeah, I'm pretty upset with myself about this. Mm-hmm. UFO Hunter Packs. One of my favorite uh, options at Avis. Yes, and Pocket Sand. Pocket Sand. It even has waking comas. Which are fascinating, I did a lot of research in between recording this episode and now. So how, David, did they pack all of this action into this one episode? Chris Carter's a genius. Oh, is that how? <laughs> There's n- no other explanation. Well, I think you might be right. <laughs> did you have another explanation? I have no other explanation. Okay. But I do think that the truth is out there. Oh, that's where you're going. Wasn't beautiful, but it happened, guys. <laughs> so I am Dave Reed. And I am Kristen Riley. And we are hosting this podcast called The Cast Files. So join us. Let us know what you think. Uh, basically, the premise is we are going to talk about the X Files every week. And I am a nerd who never saw the X Files when it was on. Yes. And if you're watching along with us, it is currently May of 2021. And Netflix, not Netflix, Hulu has all of the episodes. Right, we're watching on Hulu. Speaking of May of 2021, it's Cinco de Mayo. It isn't. It is. Oh, because you're uploading tomorrow. Right, we're recording on the 4th. It's the theater of the mind, Kristen. I'm sorry. I thought you were going to do a Star Wars, may the 4th be with you situation. No, I was just going to say happy Cinco de Mayo to anybody who's listening to this the day it drops. Yes. Also, wow, how'd you find us? <laughs> we love you. <laughs> also, it's it's the Wednesday before Mother's Day. It is. It is that. So everybody out there, use uh, promo code <laughs> TCF at UrbanStems.com to get 0% off your order because we don't have sponsors yet. Oh, but definitely do that. I would love to get a phone call from Urban Stems <laughs> to do, to. Just ask me what people are doing. <laughs> Why are you telling people to use this promo It does not work. It does not exist. All right, well. So I was thinking that I'm a nerd who never saw The X-Files. It came out in 1993. What could I have possibly been watching instead? So I've got a oh, list of things Oh, I'm here. so curious. Of TV shows that also came out in 1993. Are, were you watching Silk Stockings? Um, I don't believe it debuted in 1993. Okay, I don't know that it debuted. I was just trying to think of other things. I was going to guess, but that's the only guess I wanted to say. Yeah, the, the list I got is things that debuted in 1993. Sorry. So I could have been watching, instead of The, uh, the X-Files, Frasier, because I did watch that. Boy Meets World, which I still, oh. which I still love. Yep, I watched them. Uh, Beavis and Butthead. Oh. <laughs> if, the, if those two shows were on at the same time, I was definitely watching Beavis and Butthead. Yes. Animaniacs. Oh. Uh, 
let's see, lots of things I didn't watch here. Uh, the Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Oh, we just did a rewatch of that. Yep. Uh, and Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Oh. These are, oh, Living Single. I, I watched that one too when it was on. Oh my gosh, I think I've watched most of these also. I, whatever. I grew up in the 80s and 90s. I grew up by TV, so I'm not surprised. But that's, uh, those are just some of the options that I could have been doing. All right, well, um, in the comments, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, if you did watch it um, as it aired originally, or if this is your first time, if you are listening, let us know. Yeah, that would be great. We We would love to have your first watch be with my first watch. Yeah, that would be great. One thing I would like to say, though, is uh, I'm sorry I edited this podcast and we did a lot of microphone bumping that I did not notice when we were recording. Oh, yes. So listen in headphones, earbuds, right? Yeah, I edited in headphones and then when we listened on the speakers, that's when I could hear the microphone bumping. So sorry about that. Yep. We learned. (laughs) And we are learning. So I guess... uh, Let's get into the episode. All right, let's go. Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. (laughs) I'm Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. This is The Cast Files. I am a nerd who has somehow never seen The X-Files. And I watched it when it originally aired. How novel. Today, we are watching and discussing Season 1, Episode 1, Pilot. It originally aired September 10th, 1993 to 12 million viewers. That is a lot of viewers. It was written by Chris Carter and directed by Robert Mandel. Alright, synopsis. It opens at night in a forest. A young woman tumbles around in a long nightgown. I really wonder where they buy those types of nightgowns. They get them in bulk, probably. First, I want to mention that the intro graphic was just about the most hand-drawn 1993 MS Paint thing that could possibly exist. Ah. It was just tragic. It was tragic. And then they have the uh, little infographic of uh, the following story is inspired by actual documented accounts. Oh, yes. I highly doubt that. (laughs) I would really like to see the documents, actually. Uh, They need to be uh, declassified immediately. Yes. Maybe in June. (laughs) Yes. Perfect. (laughs) Okay. So it starts in a forest at night. A young woman tumbles around in a long nightgown. She ends up in a small clearing and sees an immense light growing over a nearby hill. A large vortex of leaves starts, and a male figure approaches from the light. Before the male figure approaches, there's a weird bit where red eyes appear in the forest. Oh. Yeah, it's really weird. That never comes back. Not once. The rest of the episode just ignores these red, glowing red eyes. And apparently so did I. (laughs) It was one of the first things I was like, oh, red-eyed aliens. (laughs) But no. The figure stands over the woman and light engulfs them both. Then it cuts to the ubiquitous X-Files sound. So that's how this first episode starts. That was dead on perfect. Nope, that wasn't it even a little bit. Okay, so the next scene is in Cullum National Forest, 
Northwest Oregon. The next morning, two uniformed men inspect the woman's corpse with a team of coroners. One explains that there's no signs of battery or sexual assault, which I find very interesting that they've determined in the middle of the forest. Without looking at her body at all? Yeah. Um, and her bloody nose? Yes. The no, no assault, but the bloody nose. And then uh, they lift up her long nightgown to reveal her underwear, which just seems... Sexy? No, no, that <laughs> no? Is, that's not the word I was looking for. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> they reveal that she has these two small bumps on her lower back, which um, look like vampire bite moles. Vampire bite moles. Perfect. Yes. Yep, that's what I've decided they are because they aren't actually two small spots. They are giant moles. <laughs> All right. Uh, Detective Miles is one of the uniformed men, and he recognizes the young woman as Karen Swenson. So now the first detective recognizes her as a classmate of his son. And as soon as he said that, I said, oh, his son did it. I got it <laughs> written right here in my notes. Son, son. It was the son. Son of a cop, <laughs> son. So, so I think you might be able to tell where we stand on this situation. Uh, okay, so the coroner asks if Karen and the detective's son were in high school together during the class of 1989, implying that other members of her class have died the same way as Karen Swenson. The son did it. <laughs> Definitely. It does seem strange that in this small town, this is what the fourth student in the same class that's died in this way yeah they're all friends and they are just now putting this all together yeah wow good job guys <laughs> good detective work okay the next scene is act one fbi headquarters washington dc so this whole episode is a lot of explanation of who everybody is because it's the pilot. So, in FBI headquarters, Washington, D.C., Special Agent Dana Scully enters the FBI building and reports to a receptionist. I don't know why that detail needs to be in there, but there it is. <laughs> she walks through a set of offices until she comes to Division Chief Scott Blevins' office. Inside, Blevins questions her about her past work with a mysterious smoking man. Do you remember smoking in offices? I, I do. I'm old enough to remember smoking in lots of places. I don't remember smoking in offices. It seems like a bad idea. And yet, there he was. Okay, so this is where it turns out we get a little bit of Scully's backstory. Scully is a medical doctor who has been working with the FBI for about two years. Blevins notifies her that she is being assigned to work with Fox Mulder on the X-Files, a group of cases that involve paranormal and inexplicable phenomena. They basically ask her, do you know anything about Fox Mulder? And she's like, yes, here's his entire biography. And his entire biography includes that Mulder is an Oxford-educated psychologist who once was the best analyst in the violent crime section. His work helped catch a serial killer. Named Monty Props, because that is a fantastic name. <laughs> you know he had a really cool mustache. Oh, twirly at the end yeah. <laughs> eventually Mulder became so obsessed with the unexplained that he became a joke and was banished to the basement where later he is where he, later he jokes that it, he is the FBI's most unwanted yeah yeah there's a lot of those in here some <laughs> of them are poorly timed <laughs> oh, yeah. so Scully is assigned to write reports about Mulder's cases basically spying on him 
and reporting back to Blevins and the smoking man. This is when she leaves that office and walks down to the building's basement where Scully meets Mulder and we get the first big reveal. Oh, you get to see the back of his head first. Because he's being, he's playing with slides because he's a nerd. No, because he's investigating the Karen Swenson murder. With slides? When he's putting together a slideshow? Yes. That, oh, I that thought it, happens next. I thought he was just, uh, I don't know, putting together a presentation. Did you forget that he showed her slides next? I did forget that. <laughs> it uh, was because when he did the big reveal. Yeah, when he turns around. You, I audibly gasped <laughs> and said, and I wrote this down because it's a quote, God damn, he's so handsome. <laughs> well, I don't blame you for forgetting everything that happens for the next couple of minutes. <laughs> oh, he's so handsome. <laughs> he really is. It's not fair. It's, it's actually ridiculous. If you haven't seen this episode, go back and just watch that part. Over and over again. <laughs> right before bed. For Christmas, I just need to make you a gif of that. <laughs> yes. Just <laughs> I'm turning have, around slowly. Have it on my phone. <laughs> well, Scully is more professional than we are, and she does not audibly gasp. <laughs> but I have a feeling she reacts, which is why the camera cuts away from her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the slides that he was showing, he was playing with, are used in the next presentation he does show her a presentation on a projector which it took me a few minutes to remember what that machine was called because i haven't seen one in so long (laughs) so Mulder shows scully um, images on a slide projector of karen swenson's dead body and reveals a strange organic substance has been found near the two marks on the woman's back he shows her a formula a chemical formula also, and for a little while, it seems like he's trying to quiz her, which I didn't really like that whole tone. Uh, so I took the, from his tone, I took immediately that he had no idea what it was. Maybe I was just giving him too much benefit of the doubt. You guys or maybe will... I backtracked it because at the end he goes, yeah, I have no idea what this is. Either. I've never seen it either. Eh, well, I'm probably never going to give him enough benefit of the doubt. And you're going to give him too much. <laughs> so we're going to balance it out. Neat. <laughs> Neat. <laughs> Okay, so it, during this slideshow, he also sh- shows Scully uh, slides of two other bodies, one of a man in Sturgis, South Dakota, and another man in Shamrock, Texas, both with the two spots and the substance around their the surrounding tissue. Vampire Molebites. Yes, the Vampire Molebites. Although Mulder seems to believe that the cases are somehow linked to aliens, Scully argues that science will uncover a more logical explanation. Mulder tells her that three of Karen Swenson's classmates have also died in in mysterious circumstances and states that he and Scully will leave to investigate the deaths early the next morning. Oh, this is where he gets one of his cool quips of, that's why they put the I in FBI. Oh, yeah. He also says, um, when convention and science offer us no answers, might we not finally turn to fantastic as a possibility? And we both said, no. No. (laughs) Scully also said no by saying, (laughs) what I find... Yes, again, more professional. What I find fantastic is that there are answers beyond the scientific. It's another quip, but Mm. I mean, she is right. Yeah. She's also wearing a cross the whole time. I never noticed that. And Mulder will 
So I know we said no spoilers, but Mulder's going to not be religious and Scully's going to be wearing a cross. Mm. So in the early 90s, especially, that was going to be a big differentiator in morality, I think. These two people have differing opinions on things. Yes. So Scully is a scientist and a non-believer, but also a believer in religion. Interesting. And Mulder is a psychologist, a believer in aliens, and an atheist in religion. Do they explicitly say he's an atheist? They will. Okay, because typically in like the 90s and stuff, someone like that would have to be agnostic or just not religious because he's still a good guy, so we can't have him be an atheist. (laughs) I can't remember when they say that, but it will come up. All right. So... Stand by. (laughs) All right, let's see. The next morning, on an airplane to Oregon, Mulder lies sprawled across a row of seats, and that made me remember air travel, which was weird. But they were also on a tiny plane. Did you notice that? I wasn't paying close attention to the plane. I'm going to say 727, probably. It was a very small plane with two seats on each side of the aisle. And during the flight, Scully is is reading. She's doing her work. She's studying, essentially. Mulder is asleep. Um, they hit some, some turbulence. Right before they hit the turbulence, Scully sees that Dr. Neiman's name is in the files. Mm-hmm. It zooms in on Dr. Neiman and it fills up the entire screen. Oh. So, you know, it's important. So we're going to need to know that name later. Yes. Chekhov's name <laughs> yes when it shows up in act one it's gonna go off in act three. Yes. <laughs> the plane hits turbulence and the plane shakes a lot violently um and that's when you find out in the 90s that overhead latches didn't exist <laughs> they, they're very poorly designed <laughs> they were a little bit of turbulence and all of the luggage fell out. Boeing was like, uh, we got to skimp somewhere. <laughs> Look at this. Mulder has two whole seats to himself. <laughs> Take out the latches. That's when Mulder nonchalantly concludes that they are in the right place. Whoa, yeah, there's turbulence here. That means one thing and one thing only. Aliens. 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 So, word to the wise, if you've ever experienced turbulence... Aliens. That's right. Afterwards, Mulder drives a rental car in Bellfleur, Oregon, as Scully reads the relevant X-File. She's reading a file for a long time. She read it from D.C. to Oregon. (laughs) That's a pretty long flight, I would think. Yeah, it's a five, six hour flight, I think. And uh, now she's still reading it in the car. It's nice to know that she doesn't get car sick. Yeah, and she's thorough. She's very thorough. She's, she's probably, she was probably an overachiever. She's surprised to learn that the case has already been investigated. I'm surprised that during the five hours that she's been reading this file, she didn't realize it's already been investigated. Right? <laughs> that, hey, there is a file. The existence of the file sort of suggests that somebody investigated it. She's pretty ticked off that Mulder didn't disclose it. I'm miffed that she didn't realize it the whole time she was reading it. <laughs> Um, he explains that the FBI came became involved after the first three deaths, but left one week later without explanation. Real thorough work, guys. According to Scully, no unidentified marks are noted in the autopsy reports of the first three victims. And guess who the coroner was of those first three victims? Check off. Yes. Oh, neat. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Neiman. This is another one of those moments where I'm thinking that Mulder's being pretty condescending when he is impressed by Scully's observations. Uh, She's 
She went to medical school and she's reading an <laughs> autopsy report. <laughs> she probably knows better than a psychologist. Yes. Then all of a sudden the car's radio powers up. Is that right? It sort of goes wonky. Yeah, I would say it would go wonky. Because cars in 1993 were very susceptible to alien interference. Oh, is that why? That is true. Oh. I, I can tell you that from a very clear experience, seeing as how this episode aired like two weeks before I got my driver's license. Oh, you're old. Ah, I'm so old. I wasn't driving for another... Five years? No. Yeah. You're five years younger than me. I guess so. Ugh, such a baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so the car's radio goes weird, and they hear a high-pitched noise. Mulder stops the car and uses an aerosol from the luggage compartment to spray a large red X on the road directly behind the vehicle. <laughs> when he returns to the car, Mulder states the incident was probably only trivial. What I want to know is... This is a rental car, right? And they didn't stop somewhere to buy the aerosol? Well, they must have done that off screen. Unless Avis just has your UFO hunter pack. <laughs> but Scully doesn't know that the aerosol's in the car. That's true. <laughs> so did he fly on the plane with the aerosol can? Well, 1993, you probably could. Man. So. I bet they didn't even have to take off their shoes. No, probably not. Or go through that, that naked body scanner or yeah. anything. And they caught just as many bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> so the FBI didn't have any anything after this investigation. So zero then and zero now. <laughs> yeah, I do like the idea of uh, Avis having a UFO hunter's package, though. I do. That's that is pretty good. I guess in Oregon, ask for it next time you're there. <laughs> so then we go to the next location. They are exhuming the body of Ray Soames, who was the third victim. That's when they're interrupted by Dr. Neiman, who was the coroner of the first three bodies. He says he didn't examine the last body Karen's body because he was away on family vacation and he becomes weirdly aggressive at the scene which makes him look incredibly guilty right he might as well have just walked up handcuffed in an orange jumpsuit yeah that would have been less <laughs> obvious less, less suspicious <laughs> So it turns out that the way that Ray Soames died in the autopsy report is that he was 20 and he died of exposure after only seven hours on a warm, warm summer's night. Very interesting. Which seems strange. Oh, uh, just to backtrack a little bit. When Dr. Neman comes up and when he's being weirdly aggressive, he says, if you have an accusation, you'd better have some evidence to back it up. And like, that's why we're exhuming this body <laughs> to get the evidence yep. to show that you are, uh, you are a bad person. <laughs> bad person evidence. Bad person evidence. Okay. The doctor leaves. His daughter was also in the car. That She doesn't say anything. He manhandles her before he is weirdly aggressive to the FBI and then leaves. So then they are exhuming the body and it rolls, it falls off of the forklift and rolls down a hill. Like it was in once some weird Benny Hill episode. It was, it was wildly unprofessional. The coffin opens slightly and then Mulder opens the coffin to find a desiccated mummified body. That's all warped and weird looking. And that's another time when Mulder quips. Yeah. Something about... Basketball team? Yeah. I guess he's not going to be on the basketball team. It was real weird. It was. Um, it's obvious that the corpse is not human. And Mulder demands that the coffin be resealed and no one see it. Just from quipping to serious, like oh, immediately. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a real weird tone shift. They're still finding their whole mode there. Yeah. Pilots need to be... Uh, given a little bit of leeway. 
pilots need to be given a little bit of leeway, everybody. Not speaking about any specific pilot, but pilots need to be given a little bit of leeway. What are you referring to? Us. We Oh. <laughs> us. <laughs> Cut us some slack if you're listening to this. Oh man, yeah, no, this is going to be bad. If you're not listening to this, then why are you listening to this? Well, that was the end of Act 1. So this would be a good time for an ad break. Oh my gosh. If we had anybody to pay us to do this. Maybe in the future they'll do one of those like retroactive ad breaks and we can do that here. That's why I'm talking about it because I was like, this is a good spot. I think uh, Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter would be a great uh, sponsor for us because you're definitely going to hear our cats some at some point. And we need litter today. Yeah. So after this, we're going to go get some. <laughs> so hit us up, Pretty Litter. <laughs> I'm actually very curious about how you work. So yeah, let me know. <laughs> and we're back <laughs> act two it's the same day but it's 10 56 p.m and scully's exuming examining the corpse she determines that it is possibly an orangutan or a chimpanzee oh, that is exactly what i wrote when i saw it initially in the in the graveyard yes i wrote is that an ape and it, it is an ape it's weird looking. Well, its face was very ape-like. Yeah. <laughs> they, they didn't go very far away from ape mummy. Yeah, so I was... Another thing that they didn't wrap up in this episode is, was that the human or was it an ape? Oh my gosh, they never come back and ask... Or, yeah, they never come back and explain it. Right, I was, I was thinking, oh, they put an ape in the ground and got rid of the kid's body or something. But then the body they exhume has the piece of metal in it so that doesn't work no and why would you replace it with an where would you get an ape body in oregon <laughs> in short order you call when, up your ape body guy if you need to fill a same place to get the long night counts <laughs> it's it's a very niche <laughs> store avis also sells those things yes. along with their <laughs> alien hunting kits uh, actually, Mulder does. I take it back. I take all of that back because Mulder says it, the aliens caused the mutations. Oh. Like, he says it real quick in passing. but I missed that along with the red eyes. Yeah, but they never really, like, stick it. They, he they just don't. kind of... They really want to save time for that basketball joke. Yes. We cannot have the inappropriate basketball joke. I also was curious why no one else said, oh, that looks like an ape. <laughs> right? <laughs> Just yeah, just inside the body during the um, during the exam, Scully finds a small metallic implant in the body's nasal cavity. It's a tongue piercing. <laughs> the that monkey had its tongue pierced. In its in its nose. Well, I mean, it warped and got all desiccated and stuff. So it just the the piercing shifted during decomposition. Oh. Yeah, but it's a tongue piercing. I know because I also had my tongue pierced in the nineties. In. And then it crawled up into your nasal cavity. That's why I don't have it anymore. <laughs> oh dear, that's also why you snore so bad. <laughs> yes, it's, that's exactly why. Oh, it's just lodged there, blocking, blocking all my oxygen. It really is jammed up in your nasal passage. Oh yeah, that would cause some problems. <laughs> After the examination, they're back at a they're at a motel. Mulder comes by. Scully's room. He knocks on the door and asks if she wants to go for a run. And Scully declines. No. And this is the point where I said, "Ugh, Duchovny even looks hot with his hat on backwards." And he did. <laughs> and it's just so upsetting. It's unfortunate, really. When he stops by, he's wondering if she's identified the plant, the implant, but not yet. 
because I guess they aren't aware of tongue piercings. <laughs> they didn't go to the same guy I did. <laughs> Dr. Neiman. <laughs> yes, Dr. Neiman pierced my tongue. <laughs> and then covered it up. <laughs> so then it's the next day. Um, in Raymond County State Psychiatric Hospital. Mulder and Scully walk with Dr. Glass, who confirms that Ray Soames was a patient at the hospital. Glass claims that under his supervision, Soames was treated for clinical schizophrenia for a year. I just want to say I have a feeling that some of this mental illness debate and discussion throughout the early, mid, and all of the 90s could get questionable. So we're just going to... (laughs) Cross our fingers. We're just going to explain it, and then we can discuss when when necessary like in five minutes (laughs) Soames appeared to suffer from a form of post-traumatic stress and didn't grasp reality so uh not sure those two things are related I don't either but that's what their conversation that's how Dr. Glass is explaining it which I think is interesting that Mulder doesn't say anything during really during this conversation because he's supposed to be a psychologist which isn't a psychiatrist but they would be in the same realm right and Mulder doesn't really add anything to this conversation yeah you're right he he just is like sure whatever yeah so I hope they work that out later Dr. Glass has also treated several of Soames's classmates from remember that class of 19... 89. 89, where that's where Karen and the detective son. The guilty guy. Yeah. <laughs> They're all included in the class of 1989, and apparently several of them have ended up in the psychiatric hospital, which on another side note, I wonder how psychiatric hospitals in the early 90s were. I think uh, that was after Reagan shut down a whole bunch of them, so they can't be good. They're probably just for people with money, actually. Now that, yeah. You're right. They're all just for people with money. Oh. So they're fine. Yikes. That's really sad. (laughs) Yeah, that's incredibly, yeah, that's bad. All right, so Mulder and Scully are visiting two of the patients, Billy Miles and Peggy O'Dell. They've been at the hospital for four years. So some incident happened four years ago that that occurred to all of these classmates and landed several of them in the psychiatric hospital. Yeah. And then... And dead. and, And yeah, and now they're dead mysteriously with things in their noses. Things in their noses and vampire mole bites. And the FBI couldn't find anything. Yeah. After a full week. No. They clearly didn't even bother to look at the bodies. Right. They just, yeah. They would have seen the chimpanzee. Yeah, right? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I don't trust this investigation. (laughs) (laughs) So they, after they talk to Dr. Glass, they go inside to meet Billy Miles. Billy is lying in bed unresponsive. They explain that he's experiencing a waking coma, which I think is just because he's lying there with his eyes open as opposed to his eyes closed. I think that's the only difference in the waking coma. Yeah, I have no idea. I'd never heard of a waking coma before. Peggy O'Dell is also there. She's in a wheelchair and she's sitting next to Billy Miles reading to him. Um, When Mulder asks the doctor for permission to conduct a detailed medical examination of Peggy O'Dell, she goes berserk. Oh, she just smacks herself right in the face with a blood packet. It did. It's (laughs) fantastic. (laughs) And then throws herself out of her wheelchair onto the floor. And while she does that, Mulder assaults her by lifting up her her gown to reveal the the twin back vampire moles. Yeah. Vampire, what did I call them? Vampire mole bites. Vampire mole bites. (laughs) So, uh, So you think he's not looking for vampire mole bites. He's just trying to get a good look at what she's got going on. You know, it's a little, it was odd when they did it that way to the dead girl. 
but you know a little bit more i guess reasonable Ugh, gross <laughs> but this this isn't this isn't a live person <laughs> and he just lifts up her clothes <laughs> while she's having a panic it's not great it, it isn't. Or while she's having a panic or while she's faking a panic. Well, oh. she did pop herself in the face with a blood packet. Yeah, so could be faking it. Or the aliens could be telling her to fake one. Mm. I'm going to start carrying around packets in my pocket so that when I have a panic, pocket I packet. pocket packet <laughs> so I can smack myself in the face <laughs> or others as, as the situation demands. That's a great idea. <laughs> once once uh, we don't have to start wearing masks, you can just go... I'm just going to smack anybody who doesn't wear a mask. Oh, that's good. <laughs> the twin back moles. Scully is upset. At least that's what this particular synopsis that I read says. It looks like she's scared when she's running out of the, the room. But either way, she leaves and uh, Mulder follows her. Whatever. Yeah. They have a argument about aliens are real no they're not yeah oh th- is this where uh yeah this is where he says i don't think you're ready for what i think the condescension there's a lot of moments where there's a lot of weird moments where there's condescension from Mulder. yeah while he's saying the most absurd things <laughs> he's yeah he's trying to come off like she's being uh unreasonable yeah a flat earther or something where he's talking about aliens existing with no evidence well you know there's the tongue piercings (laughs) monkeys with tongue piercings oh my gosh people stop piercing (laughs) monkeys tongues actually apes apes sorry monkeys have tails i know that from watching planet of the apes oh the tim burton remake that was horrible all right so they leave the psychiatric hospital and then later that night they go to the forest where the latest victim died um they're carrying flashlights and dressed in informal clothing those fbi windbreakers yes so they're not in suits they're just in fbi windbreakers oh we need to sidetrack on those suits though okay oh my gosh, they are the worst. The suits they're wearing at the beginning or throughout? And throughout, the everybody's suit jacket in every scene is the worst. Scully's is pretty bad. It's got the shoulder pads. Hers is boxy, just like yeah. the men's, because that's what women had to dress like men in order to get any sort of support at all. Or How else are you going to be taken seriously? They're not taking her seriously. They <laughs> sent her to the she, basement. She, she needs bigger shoulder pads. <laughs> she, she needs bigger shoulders. We can't take you seriously, doctor. We have to give you bigger shoulders. <laughs> But if you look at their their um, fabric, everybody's nope. Nobody has a plain jacket suit jacket. They all have some sort of texture, and they're all garbage. Oh, wow. Yes. We need uh, Kate Leth to do a fashion watch. <laughs> I wonder if you can say other people's names on podcasts. You just did. Yeah. I hope I don't get sued. Who? Ha- how? Podcast Association of America. <laughs> The PAA is coming after yeah, you. The PAA is going to get me. Okay, so they're in better clothing in just their windbreakers out in the forest. They separate, which, you know, is always a good idea when there's aliens or monsters or suspicious things. It's the best thing to do in any scary situation. Always. Split, split up. up. <laughs> after they separate, Mulder looks at the compass he's carrying, which is spinning wildly. Oh, it's going crazy. Which, you know, means aliens. Of course. <laughs> And in the clearing where Karen Swinson died, Scully notes a patch of strange dirt on the sand. On the sand. On the ground. Because she grabs some... Pocket sand! Pocket sand! (laughs) (laughs) 
and puts it in her pocket. <laughs> then a low rumbling begins and Scully removes a gun from her pocket and leaves the clearing. So she's stalking the sound, essentially. Weapon drawn. Yeah, that this sound is just so loud. It's really loud. Real heavy machinery type stuff. It sounds like a an active construction site. Yeah. Where they're just leveling the ground and knocking down trees and the beginning of clearing right. a site. It's a lot of noise and a lot of light all of a sudden. So as she's stalking through the woods with her weapon drawn, she approaches the source of the noise, so the construction site, and a, there's a big old light shining through, which makes you think back to the teaser opener and a humanoid silhouette from the light comes toward her. The uh, the humanoid silhouette is also male. You can tell that, just like the, in the first one, but they're not the same. I know because I was paying attention. This one's a little broader. Yes, he's got the shoulder pads. He's got, he's got giant shoulders. So then they come back from commercial in Act 3. The silhouette is actually Detective Miles. Remember him from the beginning? The Where... sketchy sheriff. I keep calling him sheriff, but I guess he's a detective. He's a detective. I'm going to keep calling him sheriff because he's sketchy sheriff whose son is doing all of this. <laughs> the thing is, he doesn't reveal his name to Agent Scully. So he's just this big scary dude in the woods coming after her. So he doesn't reveal his name. He states only that he is employed by the Raymond County Sheriff's Department and warns the agents that they are on private property and they're forced to leave. This made me wonder who has jurisdiction over what? You would think the FBI has jurisdiction over everything. I thought so. I mean, that's the trope. Okay, so they're forced to leave. That's when it sh they Scully and Mulder walk back to their car, and that's when it shows what was making the sound and the lights. It's the dude's Ford Bronco. It was just a Ford Bronco. That guy's Ford Bronco sounds terrible. He needs a tune-up. And he also has a whole rack of lights on the front. Yeah, it's got to be some hunting thing. Okay. That's my guess. Is he hunting people? I doubt it. How is he hunting with his car making that much noise? Oof. Can you turn the, on the lights without turning on your car? Won't Pro that drain its battery? I mean, there's probably a way to do it. I have too many questions. Hunting-wise. I'm just flashing back to that scene in Crocodile Dundee with the kangaroo poachers. They just got the big racks of lights on their truck. And then One. Crocodile Dundee takes a dead kangaroo and a rifle and shoots out their lights, but it makes it look like the kangaroo is shooting out the lights. Crocodile Dundee, 80s movie. Great. Paul Hogan, national treasure of Australia. <laughs> Not America. I am really struggling to remember any of those scenes. And I know I've seen that movie, but, you know, when I was like four. <laughs> <laughs> an awful scene he's carrying around a dead kangaroo well because the poachers are shooting kangaroos illegally because they're poachers they're the bad guys do not explain poaching <laughs> to me so after they leave the area they're driving through a storm in the darkness of night it starts raining as soon as they get in the car it's a downpour just car door shuts pouring pouring rain. yes scully shows Mulder the pocket sand pocket sand <laughs> Mulder believes the dirt might be from a campfire, and Scully theorizes that the teenagers have may have been part of a cult, and that the man that they just encountered is aware of that. Ooh. You know how I feel about cults. Yes, you love cults. We should have more cults. Less aliens, <laughs> more cults. No, oh, we're doing the wrong series. <laughs> Suddenly, there's a blinding flash of light and the car loses power. So this is the second time their car has gone weird. 
Yeah, it's a weird cut of like slow motion, black and white fuzziness. It really is. It's it's a pilot. Yes, it's a very pilot move. Very pilot. Cut some slack to the pilots. <laughs> Mulder, who looked at his watch just before the incident, which, one, how would he know to look at his watch right before that? Also, he's driving. He's driving. Keep your eyes on the road. He hasn't been in that location a bunch. It's not familiar. No. It's not like he drives this way all the time and remembers this is where he put the x (laughs) right that's a very good point when he did the x he had just arrived and the car went wonky he put an x on the ground it was daytime this is a couple days later that night night, there's a pouring rain pouring rain he look he knows to look at his watch right before anything happens (laughs) yeah that's it's all real weird Mulder's not a psychologist he's just got a sixth sense uh so they stop with the with the weird cut and everything they ended up stopping the car the car well the car loses power so they stop they get out into the rain they're walking around and Mulder is extremely excited he gets out of the car He's, I've just said that all out of order. He gets out of the car and they're standing in the rain and he knows that that's where he put the red cross mark. How he knows that is unclear because he doesn't look at it. The lights are off. (laughs) It's pouring rain and it's nighttime. And it's like the red cross is like 20 feet in front of him, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. None of it makes sense. So he's super excited about that alien part of the road. And, uh, oh, also they lost nine minutes. Mulder's super excited and Scully argues that time can't just disappear. Oh, it can in this zip code. <laughs> oh, yes. Another quip. <laughs> in, so then it cuts to them back in their hotel. Scully's writing up her report. She's concluding that she cannot validate nor substantiate Mulder's claim that they experienced a loss of time. When the power goes out due to the, due to the storm, things get sexy. Ooh. Everybody's got candles because you know how when you're whenever you're at a cheap motel they in have the middle a, of nowhere, they've got some real nice candles. That's part of the Avis package. <laughs> I am renting from Avis. Avis, call us. <laughs> it is a fantastic company. Unless there are controversies I don't know about. Right, yes, right. In which case, it's a terrible company. <laughs> okay, so she's running a bath, as you do in a rainstorm. When you were growing up, didn't you know not to take a shower when there was lightning? That's what we were told, because the lightning's going to come through your pipes for some reason. For some reason, that's what our mom said. And so you never took a shower or a bath during a lightning storm. When it's raining, that's a different thing. We're not that dumb. But lightning was a serious topic in right. the 80s and 90s. Can, can't be in the swimming pool. Nope. Uh, I believe G.I. Joe did a PSA about that. <laughs> and then, Body massage. Body massage. <laughs> <laughs> If you don't know what we're talking about, look that up. That's Yes, please do. If you do know what we're talking about, look it up. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so she's getting, she's running a bath with all of these beautiful candles and a gorgeous bathrobe that... She just takes everywhere she goes. She must. When she <laughs> disrobes, because now we have to have some skin, it is a pilot. And if you have a female, you have to show her skin. That's why they keep raising everybody's nightgowns. Oh my gosh. Right. We haven't seen even one man's nipple, but we've seen <laughs> three ladies' butts by this point. <laughs> so Scully is rubbing her hands along her body, I guess, and feels some bumps on her lower back where we've seen the the vampire bite moles and Gets really concerned, throws her robe back on, and runs over to Mulder's room. So Mulder lets her in. He is also holding a candle, and she disrobes. She's just in. (laughs) She's just in a bra and underwear, and he slowly kneels down. (laughs) 
Gets in close. He gets in real close, and he looks like he's going to put little kisses on her lower back. But to be fair, that man's face always looks like it's going to put little kisses somewhere. (laughs) And then he smiles and kind of laughs at her for being silly and says, It's just a mosquito bite. I got eaten alive out there myself. I have never had a mosquito bite look anything like that before in my life. Nope, it just looks like weird moles. Not even weird moles, it just looks like moles. Right. <laughs> so she throws her robe back on and in relief turns around and and puts her face into his chest. Yeah, that was a little... I think at this point, well, one, he probably smells delicious. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> if he smells anything like he looks, then, then who can blame her? <laughs> right. So, not me. However, I think they don't know what to do with this. This is one of those moments where you're doing the will they, won't they. Oh, yeah. 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 Gross. But fortunately, he just puts his arms around her in a friendly way. He's not like rubbing her back or something gross. And then it cuts to the next scene, which is great. They don't make it too gross after they've already shown us all of Jillian Anderson's body. After all of that, they are just hanging out in Mulder's room with the lights. The lights are still out. They have the candles everywhere, but it, it's more of a sleepover vibe now. No, it's not sexy. It's not, there's no sexual tension. It's just more like a sleepover. Right. He's sitting on the floor with his back against the bed. Yep. I think she's laying on the bed. She's got her robe on, but she's, it seems more like friends. And that's where we get some of Mulder's personal history and why he has been so interested in the X-Files, so interested that he's actually hurt his own career to get information. What he says is that his sister disappeared when she was tw- when he was 12 and it tore his family apart. After that, he went to Oxford in England and was recruited by the FBI. He then discovered the X-Files and became fascinated, which makes sense, especially if there's an unsolved mystery in your own family. Right. This all makes sense. He tells Scully that he's been trying to access classified government information, but someone at a higher level has been blocking him. Uh, it was this point I came to two conclusions. Okay. One, Fox Mulder is Jonathan Sims from the Magnus Archives, another great podcast you should listen to. And uh, the person blocking him is the cigarette guy, right? He seems sketchy to me. I don't like him. And I know his name, so that means he's a, he's a person. He's the smoking man. He is a person of interest. He's a person of interest, so I don't trust him. Is it because he smokes? It's because he smokes and only bad people smoke. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Hard stance from David on that one. And uh, because he's in the office with the other head honcho people who are clearly just there to obstruct and not do anything good other than serve exposition at the beginning of the episode. There's a lot of exposition in this. Hopefully as they find their pace and we find our pace as well. <laughs> <laughs> this will get better. I do like a lot of the 90s themes that they've pulled into this, so we can rec- we can cover some of those at the end, but okay. one of the ones that two of two of them actually are coming up right now. He knows that somebody's blocking him, and the older, only reason Mulder has been able to continue his work is that he has made connections in Congress. He suspects Scully is part of an agenda to stop him, but she swears that she is not and tries to convince him to trust her. All right, pause for a second. 1993, members of Congress, who do you think it is that's helping him? Barney Frank, Trent Lott. Oh my God, what? I don't know. I was nine when this came out. Do you think it's Strom Thurmond? <laughs> Horrible racist uh, segregationist Strom Thurmond is also into aliens? I'm thinking no. No? Oh, 
Is it retroactively Marjorie Taylor Greene somehow? <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to wait and un- until all the documents are unclassified. Okay. Okay. So moldy, le- moldy. <laughs> it was only a matter of time before I did that. Um, so she's trying to convince him to trust her. Mulder leans forward and tells Scully that Dr. Heitz Werber has been has taken him through regression hypnosis. That's one. Yeah, that's bad. To access his repressed memories. <laughs> to, <laughs> to help with the satanic panic. <laughs> right. Of the night his sister disappeared. He reveals that he can what he can recall from that night. He believes that his sister was abducted by extraterrestrials and that the government is aware of the existence of aliens. He also states that the only thing that matters to him is finding out whatever the government is protecting, which sounds like he's trying to just get killed. Yeah, he, I'm I'm a part of the government and I want to take down the government. You're, I don't think that's how it works. But I do want to talk more about regression hypnosis and repressed memories, so I hope it's a theme that goes throughout. Oh, they keep bringing it back? And cults. I hope more cults come in. Okay, well, I mean, it's all spooky stuff. It is. So then the phone rings after it was great timing of this phone call, by the way, because Mm -hmm. Mulder got through his entire backstory. (laughs) (laughs) Just in time for Scully to not be able to tell her backstory. Yes. She has no backstory. And also we heard the entire story. It didn't get interrupted at all. That's fantastic. It was wonderful timing by this phone call. Um, He gets a phone call and an anonymous female caller tells him that Peggy O'Dell is dead. Remember her from the psychiatric hospital? Yeah, she was in the wheelchair. She was in the wheelchair. She and was the one that Mulder, Mulder assaulted her. So, next scene is Rural Highway 133, Belfleur, Oregon. The agents arrive at the scene of a car accident that killed Peggy O'Dell, and the driver tells Mulder that the girl ran in front of his car. Mulder is skeptical and questions the driver, saying she ran because... She's in a wheelchair. Or at least she had been. Uh, nope, now she's dead on the highway. <laughs> Basically, that's it. At that scene, it's is it still raining? Maybe a little. Mulder and Scully return to their motel, and someone has set it alight. It is on fire, specifically Scully's room. Yeah, I think before that, I think she found out that they had taken the body first. Oh, did and she? Th- yeah, and then they went to the motel room. Oh, you're right, you're right. Mulder yeah. tells Scully that the autopsy lab has been trashed and the body that the agents exhumed has been stolen. I skipped that part in my notes. And then they leave the scene in a car. That's when they return to the motel. Um, everything's on fire. All of their files, photos, the um, tongue piercing. Yes. Everything. They've lost everything. And the body's missing. So literally everything is supposedly gone. That's when Teresa Neiman, you were saying Neiman, so. I think it's Neiman. Don't correct us in the comments. I'm not going to read them. (laughs) That is the medical examiner's daughter. She rushes up to the agents. She is terrified and asks for their protection. That's when it turns out we we find out they take her to a diner. They we find out that she is also of the class of 1989. And as they're sitting there talking, she says that she often finds herself in the woods with no idea of how she got there, which to me sounds like drugs. I hope I hope they were fun. Oregon, did they have mushrooms up there? I'm sure they've got mushrooms everywhere. Anywhere there's cows, there's mushrooms. Is that how that works? Yeah, you get mushrooms off of cow poop. Is that true? Yes. (laughs) All right. I see mushrooms all the time, but they're just the regular kind. Right. They're not psilocybin. Psilocybin comes from cow poop. Okay. I'm going to have to look into that just because I don't know. While they're sitting there and she's talking, her nose starts gushing. Just spurts. It's like when you have one of those, um, those old school diner mustard or ketchup bottles. (laughs) Yeah. 
and you had shake you shake it up and turn it upside down and then squirt it onto your fries or whatever it looks like that is coming out of her nose oh yeah it was i we looked at it and just could not figure out how they did that no we have no idea how they did that it wasn't one of the blood capsules slapped onto her face it was (laughs) a it was well done Yeah, it was a squeeze bottle shot right out of her nose. If you're one of the practical effects people on the show, uh, give us a shout. (laughs) Um, As her nose is bleeding, her father enters with the same detective who warned the agents to leave the forest. So things are coming together. We've got the medical examiner and we've got the guy in the forest. Yeah, that guy that I keep calling the sheriff, whose son definitely did it. (laughs) That's when Mulder... He keeps getting involved here to tell them to go away. Because it was his son. (laughs) Mulder and Scully learn that the detective is Billy Miles' father. Yeah, that's when I said, the son did it. (laughs) And they, the guys take Teresa home. So Scully thinks the medical examiner and the detective are aware of the murderer's identity and are responsible for the destruction of the autopsy lab and the agent's motel rooms. However, she is unsure as to the reason the corpse was stolen if the men were indeed responsible. Uh, Mulder and Scully return to the graveyard. They're standing in the rain again. They are so wet in this. (laughs) So wet, constantly. Uh, They go to the cemetery, but discover that the bodies of the two other victims have been exhumed, and Mulder suddenly realizes the killer's true identity is... (gasps) Who is it? It's the detective's son! Way to catch up, Fox Mulder. (laughs) I was there in the cold open of this episode. You really were. (laughs) And that's when Act 4 begins. The next morning at uh, 5.07 a.m. Scully can hardly believe what Mulder is suggesting, but he claims that recent strange events, such as Peggy O'Dell dying at exactly the same time that he and Scully lost nine minutes, fit the profile of alien abduction. According to... Profile of alien abduction. What are you talking about? (laughs) Mulder theorizes that tests were being conducted on the victims that left marks found on their backs, but the experiments caused a genetic mutation explaining the disfigured body in Ray Soames' coffin. There we are. There it is. In regard to the loss of nine minutes that he and Scully witnessed... Mulder believes that conventional time stopped and that the alien impulse, which also caused Billy Miles to take the victims into the forest, actually took control of time itself. Scully laughs because that is a an absolutely ridiculous conclusion to be making. She finds that theory preposterous. Not in this zip code. <laughs> gosh. Another quip! We should have a little ding every time there's a quip. Oh, my gosh. In an attempt to confirm or disprove their suspicions, Mulder and Scully return to the hospital where Billy Miles is undergoing treatment. Oh, this is where we get to the gross nurse. Ah, yes. Although his nurse claims that his mental condition has rendered him incapable of walking, Scully shows Mulder dirt on the soles of the boy's feet. Boy is a loose term here. All of these (laughs) children look like they're almost 30. (laughs) She takes a sample of the dirt and uh, right before they leave. During this scene is where uh, the nurse makes a comment about something not being in her her aisle of the produce department. Oh, so gross. So gross. It's repulsive. So I guess that answers my question earlier about how psychiatric hospitals are. <laughs> right. If Chris Carter's writing them, 
They're real gross. Yeah. So after that, they leave. Um, outside, Scully claims that claims to be certain that Billy Miles was in the same forest as his victims. You're assigning blame. I am. To the guy who's guilty. Alle- I said he was alleged- guilty in a cold open. <laughs> Allegedly. She explains that the dirt she has just discovered matches the pocket sand that she found in Cullum <laughs> National Forest earlier. Unfortunately, the strange sample uh, was destroyed in the motel fire and therefore cannot be used to make a comparison. I don't know why they can't return. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, just go get some more pocket sand. Right. Isn't it within a short driving distance I, well, of everything? Yeah, because the kid in the comb was walking there, so it's got to be pretty close. I, I feel like she should say, oh, it was destroyed, but I know where I got it, so let's go back and pick <laughs> some up. <laughs> Maybe that's why the FBI agents didn't discover anything the first time. <laughs> but they do, oh, never mind. They do decide to go retrieve another sample. <laughs> <laughs> recruit me right out of college and I can see why now. (laughs) (laughs) When Mulder and Scully arrive at the edge of the forest, they notice Detective Miles' car again. That guy. Yep. A distant scream draws them into the woods, which you always love to hear. A distant scream in the woods. Scully follows Mulder as they run toward the source of the noise, but is suddenly ambushed by Detective Miles and falls to the ground. I love this. Because he cracks her in the noggin with the butt of his shotgun. Gives her a stern warning about, I told you people to stay away. And then just walks away. Yep. Like, (laughs) I told you people to stay away or else I'll walk away from you. And she is out cold while he's giving her this threat. (laughs) Or reminder, however you want to state it. It's just real pointless. It's very. After that, he goes after Mulder and holds him at gunpoint. So he's less assaulty of Mulder. Well, yeah. He physically assaults Scully. He's a cop and she's tiny. She, did you know that she's, she and I are the same height? Yes, I actually had this written down and forgot to bring it up at, right outside the diner when they're standing next to each other. Yes. She is tiny. I know. I had to, I had to say that we're the same size because of how often you tell me that she's (laughs) tiny. (laughs) You are married to a very tiny lady, apparently. You're tiny. I don't see myself as tiny, but when I look at her <laughs> on the TV screen, I'm like, that is a small lady. <laughs> I had to look up how, how tall she was again, just to be like, oh, oh, that's me. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> uh, so Mulder is being held at gunpoint, and that's when Mulder accuses Miles of already knowing what was happening and warns that his son is about to kill another girl. Yeah, it's this tense moment where the sheriff is a bad guy the entire time and then Mulder says, he's going to kill her. And that works? <laughs> Suddenly the sheriff detective is just is like, ah, oh, you're right. I'm going to go blow my boy's head off. 
Yeah, you're right, because it is a very tense scene. He's been protecting his son, who's been murdering all of these people, but now he's being persuaded. Bye. He's going to kill her. So Detective, that's when Detective Mile rushes towards his son, who's holding Teresa Neiman in his arms, similar to the opening scene. We're yeah. flashing back to that. First thing I noticed about this, his back is kind of ripped. <laughs> You see his bareback and his vampire mole bites. And it's like, wow, he's got some good muscle definition back there. For being in a coma for four years. Oh, yeah, it gets better. <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> Give it a minute. It gets better. The detective urges his son to put her down and raises his gun when Billy Miles does not comply. So. Yeah, he's like, I'll blow my boy's head off while he's holding a woman with a shotgun. Right. You're just scatter shooting everybody, everybody. involved. You're, you're not making good decisions here either, sir. So Mulder... Oh, you're doing the recap, sorry. No, it's fine. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Mulder, Mulder knocks, tackles yeah. him. Right as he's about to shoot his own son and... <laughs> and the innocent, <laughs> innocent woman, woman. whose he, life he's trying to save. Yeah. that's Scully has recovered consciousness at this point, And when the gun goes off, she finds them. At that point, she's running toward them, and Mulder and the detective witness Billy Miles lift Teresa Neiman in his arms as the leaves start swirling again. There's the bright light, and the light eventually engulfs everybody. Scully watches from a distance. She hasn't made it quite to them, so I don't know how far away she was when she was left in the dirt. I think she was moving slow because she is concussed. Probably. Yeah. And that's why she's seeing that light, too. <laughs> like, that's, that's what I uh, figure is in her mind like she's thinking oh this bright light i have a concussion that would make sense so then the light disappears and billy has no memory of his actions he's very confused the spots on his back are gone and Teresa wakes up and this is when we get a full shot of him without a shirt and oh man he is ripped body by coma is what i have written down here i need to be in a coma for three years if that's how i'm gonna look on the other side of it I do enjoy 90s buff guys over what we have today because today they just men just look like monsters. Yeah, steroided up. Yeah, muscle on muscle on muscle. Yeah, Billy was lean. Lean and tight. <laughs> 90s strong guys are tight. <laughs> so everybody's saved. Ta-da! Uh, but, uh, so Mulder makes his way over to Scully and she's like, oh, what happened? And he says, it was incredible. And then no further information. <laughs> Just, it was incredible. Can't tell you about it. <laughs> it was so cool you missed it. That's when we get to the final act, Act 5. Um, it's back in Washington, D.C. at FBI headquarters. Billy is undergoing hypnosis performed by Heights Verber. I didn't, I never put together that that was the same guy that hypnotizes uh, Mulder. I didn't either until I... I got into the yeah. the background because they don't state it. Mm -hmm. They don't state it in the episode as you're watching it. But with the closed caption and uh, okay. the recaps, yeah. Mulder's in the room and Scully watches from an ante room through the one-way mirror that is so popular in all cop shows. Oh, it's the best thing. I want one in every room in this house. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Veto. <laughs> Um, Division Chief Blevins, the smoking man, and another man are also in the anteroom with Scully. 
So they're watching through the glass as Billy Miles records his statement or is hypnotized in responding. It doesn't feel like hypnosis because... He's just talking and there's no questions? He Well, the, the question is, tell us about the first time you saw the light. And so he just starts telling them about the first time he saw the light. Mm. I guess we're supposed to assume that he has no memory of, of this. This is a repressed memory. Right. Early 90s. Yeah. Gotta love it. So according to Billy Miles, he and his friends were having a party in the woods to celebrate their graduation when he first saw the bright light. It transported him to a location that he calls the testing place. My bad. <laughs> according to Billy Miles, he and his friends were having a party in the woods to celebrate their graduation when he first saw the bright light. It transported him to a location he calls the testing place, just like Mulder had mentioned before. His mm-hmm. assumption was that these bodies were being tested on. Right. But what else are aliens doing when they abduct you? Seems like it seems like a short assumption. You mean according to the alien abduction profile? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to look at my notes and see what that was called. Uh, so the group that abducted him told him to gather the others so they could do tests. The group put an implant in his nasal cavity. He would wait for a light to give their orders. So they're giving orders. They're communicating through the light and the nasal cavity implant. The tongue piercing. Yes. They assured him that it would all be okay and that no one would know. However, the tests didn't work and they wanted everything destroyed. So that's why they came back to start murdering all of the other people. Right. And then suddenly had a change of heart when there was only two left. Which doesn't make any sense and is never addressed because there's no reason for them to have stopped when they were in the forest. And obviously they were doing the tests often because Teresa Neiman kept finding herself in the forest. Right. She kept saying, I'm waking up in the forest with no idea how I got here, which we have to assume everybody was waking up in the forest while they were performing the tests. I guess except for Patty, because she was in a wheelchair? Yeah, but I guess they could make her run. That's true. Yeah. That's also never explained. Yeah. So he's telling his story, basically confirming everything that Mulder has put together based on absolutely nothing (laughs) throughout the entire episode. That's, That's what we find out. As Billy is telling his story, he he becomes afraid that they're going to come back. And Heights Verber tells him that he shouldn't be afraid. He's assuring him that the FBI are only trying to help, which really, they haven't stopped anything or solved anything so far. So I'm not really sure what assurances these are. He did, Mulder did stop the sheriff from shooting the two of them. So that's helpful. Although they were getting ready to murder her anyway. The aliens were getting ready to murder her anyway. And they would have killed him too. And he's the reason that gun was being pointed at them yes it's a wash they just i guess two lives ended up being saved but that is completely on the whim of the aliens yeah i guess they heard Mulder say he's going to kill her <laughs> yeah it's uh lots of holes this smoking man whispers something to blevins in the ante room and they leave so the next scene is located in blevins office again where we first met scully and she and the division chief discuss the case there's a third man present he and blevins both seem to believe that the suggestion of alien abduction found in scully's field reports and davy billy where did B- davy come from <laughs> billy miles supposed recollections under hypnosis is completely unscientifically founded. Uh, They are at least correct about the recollections under hypnosis. (laughs) Being completely unfounded. (laughs) So they have have the, at least 50% of this is just bull. She admits that she cannot substantiate all of Mulder's claims, including the sudden loss of nine minutes. And Blevins tells her that he sees no evidence to support the validity of the X-Files and therefore no reason to continue them. So after exactly one investigation, (laughs) Blevins is ready to 
scrap the entire X-Files. That's been probably in effect for what? Decades. Yeah. So that doesn't, whatever. When she's told that there is no evidence, she actually still has Ray Soames's uh, nasal implant. Tongue piercing. In her pocket and hands it over to them. So according to Scully, a lab test, an un unidentified, undisclosed lab test reveals that the uh, metal could not be, or the material could not be identified. Um, tongue piercing, I'm thinking stainless steel. Seems reasonable. <laughs> When Blevins asks what Mulder thinks about the case, Scully responds by implying that her new FBI partner believes aliens are responsible. The truth is out there. It's in out there in the science world. Yes. And um, then she's dismissed from Blevins' office and Scully passes the smoking man who is not smoking. He's not, but he does like blatantly try to shoulder check her. He does. And she turns around and looks at him as he's going into the office, but he doesn't look at her. Uh, then she leaves. Next, it is night. So it's another scene after all of that. And Scully lays awake in bed. She answers a phone call from Mulder, who tells her that a case... You up? <laughs> He answers a booty call from <laughs> she answers a booty call from Mulder, who tells her that a case file on Billy Miles has disappeared from the district attorney's office in Raymond County, Oregon. I wanna know how he knows that since he's back in DC. And everybody there hates him. Right. Like who's calling him to give him the heads up on that? Is it a Congress person? Oh, it's Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> Representing Raymond County, Oregon. <laughs> uh, and Mulder wants to talk to her about it. She says, sure, let's discuss it in the morning. Which seems reasonable, because what are you going to do at this time? Right, it's like 11.22. Right, it's... <sighs> Mulder, this could have been a text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you up can always be a text. In another scene at the same time, we're in a storage room in the Pentagon, and that's where the smoking man is in the filing room. He files away the implant in a box containing five others, no, four others. There's six spots available ah. in that little vial holder, and he puts the fifth one in. The sixth is empty. He puts it away. He runs. His, he leaves. Yeah, he can only up. do this one more time. Which is interesting because we were discussing <clears throat> that there were at least two more implants. Right, but oh no, I, wait, there yeah, were at they, least they exhumed those bodies, so they those are those gone. Bodies. Yeah, Billy and Teresa would both have implants unless. The aliens, when they decided to let them go, took the implants with them. Mm. Which is why they don't have vampire mole bites anymore. When you had your tongue pierced, did you have vampire mole bites? Uh, if I did, I never noticed them. Because, you know, they're on their lower back and they were uh, obscured by my tribal lower back tattoo. No. <laughs> mm -mm. Okay. Also, lower back tattoo jokes. <laughs> Bad taste, man. <laughs> I also had my tongue pierced <laughs> and have a lower back tattoo. It's not tribal. <laughs> okay, and that's it. We have ended this episode one um, with no of no questions answered. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> There are no questions answered, but it looks like Mulder and Scully are going to be partners in the department that the FBI is actively trying to get rid of. Get rid of. Those two employees. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I can't tell if this episode, like, confirms that aliens exist in this universe, well, this show, or not. I'm leaning towards, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of other explanations for what happened other than aliens. So, I guess aliens, they're confirming that aliens exist in this show, which... I did not expect. That's interesting because you're right. They are doing, they're doing the world building. So do aliens exist or is this a military cover up? I guess it could be a military cover up, but there's, you got 
people in wheelchairs that can walk and people in comas that can walk. Well, I'm also reading this book currently about, and I just watched a movie about this too, which is awful, um, about mothers who pretend their children are sick <clears throat> and their children end up in wheelchairs for extended periods of time because they are so malnourished and oh. medicated. So you can convince somebody that they need a wheelchair even if they don't Okay. by other means i see also there was a car accident she and billy were in a car accident oh that's i forgot about that so my explanation is just because i wanted to tell you about those other things <laughs> that i've recently experienced well all right but yes there was a car accident it doesn't it doesn't make any sense why she would be able to run or why billy would be so buff after four years in a waking coma <laughs> maybe part of the waking is the workout oh that would be nice they just throw some dumbbells on his hands and he's getting curls. <laughs> well, that's it. You have anything else for this episode? Yeah, we've got our two uh, segments we've got to do. I guess we'll start with mine since I brought it up. Uh, since this is the television program where uh, the concept of shipping became a thing. Which I didn't know until you told me. Every episode, we have to decide who we're shipping in this episode. And for me, I'm going with the sheriff and his son's coma. I'd really like to see those guys together. <laughs> the detective Miles and the waking coma. And a coma. Just I'd, cops in comas. You know, I'm also going to go with Detective Miles and his garbage self, but I'm going to pair him up with that garbage nurse. Oh, that's good. That's good. I think they deserve each other. I like it. Well, let's hope it works out for them. He can cover things up and she can make awful jokes about it. You know what? And it can work even if he's in a coma. Yes. Because <laughs> she can take care of him. She will change the bedpan because no one else will. It's officially a thruple now. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird other comment she makes. No one else is going to change his bedpan. Why? <laughs> There's other nurses that it's just it's just a routine part of a job i guess everybody else is scared of aliens and she's brave oh she's brave yes all right and the second segment that we're going to do is how you would survive this i don't know if it's how i survive this but my solution to this problem is since they keep just waking up in the jungle forest in the jungle woods <laughs> Jungles of Oregon. <laughs> jungles of Oregon. It's probably just woods. <laughs> we'll call it woods. They keep waking up in the woods without any memory of how they got there. I say just start your night out in the woods doing drugs. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> that way when you wake up there with no memory, it's not a problem. You have at least a beginning of the night <laughs> that explains it. Yep. <laughs> I've just decided to never be a high schooler in a small town. Oh, oh I, did, I, <laughs> I did that one. Ah, oh, I didn't. All right. Well, we are one episode in, we one episode down. How do you feel? How do you like it? What, do you, what are your thoughts? Oh, man. That was a lot more talking than I anticipated. Well, if it makes you feel better, uh, we have done as many episodes as The Herman Cain Show. Herman Cain had a show on Newsmax that had one episode, and then he got sick and died of the COVID. Make me feel better because you... we're doing as well as Herman Cain. We have one episode down. Oh. We are also doing as well as a British satellite show uh, called Heil Honey, I'm Home. No, <laughs> they aired September 30th, 1990. It was a sitcom based on Adolf Hitler and Ava Braun. No, <laughs> yes, oh, they were living in matrimonial bliss until a Jewish couple moves in next door. 
Oh my god, that's repulsive. <laughs> that's why I got one episode. No, why did it get one episode? Well, I don't know. I'm not the British satellite company Galaxy. You aren't? No, <laughs> not, <laughs> not currently. Were you in 1990? <laughs> no, I was. I turned 13 in 1990. Oh, that's uh, repulsive. That's real, Do real Do you have bad. anything that's not repulsive? Well, we are doing better than the TV show Turn On, which aired February 5th, 1969. It was an adult version of Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. In one uh, station in Cleveland, Ohio, did not come back to it after the first commercial break. <laughs> Well, it was an adult version of Laugh-In, so it was probably too racy. In Cleveland, you know, there are a bunch of prudes in Cleveland. I'm just making friends all over the place, huh? <laughs> Cleveland, I have no feelings about anybody from Cleveland. <laughs> all right. Till next time. The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. This episode was edited by Dave Reed, and I apologize. You can email us at thecastfiles, that's the with two e's, because the Cast Files was already taken by a fisherman or something music by hal six logo by at uka art that's o-o-k-a-a-r-t on twitter you can find us on twitter at cast files you can find me on twitter at dave reed that's d-a-i-v-e-r-e-e-d tweet me and tell you how much you hated the editing on this podcast thank you